0: Welcome to Transformative Teaching, a Faceted IU podcast. I'm your host, Michael Maroney. And today we have the privilege of being with Maureen Rutherford, who is an associate professor of psychology at IU Northwest. She's also the chair of her the psychology department there and a member of the Facet Class of 2022. Maureen, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad you could join us. Um, so Facet Class of 2022. 22 or 2020? Is it 2020? I think it's 2020. 2020. Yeah, 2020 pandemic. <laughs> Pand- the pandemic, pandemic class. class. Yep. So that means that your your induction ceremony was actually the online version of the ceremony. It was. It that was, was, was pretty totally fun. Fine. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it like really worked. Uh, and I mean, I'm glad we're doing it. I'm glad we're doing it face to face again. But but that that worked. We made it. We made mm-hmm. the best of it. <laughs> Did you end up with any, uh, pandemic teaching, uh, like big wins or, um, go for it. Surviving. Surviving was a big win. win? Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: I, I feel like, um, getting through the pandemic, it was, uh, I feel like it was helpful to have, that I had had online teaching experience, um, before that and, uh, converting all of my classes over around spring break. Um, that was. Uh, I felt like that was a win in and of itself,
0: <laughs> yeah um uh
1: but then just really being flexible for the students, um knowing that they had a bunch of uh, demands on their time and their energy uh and kind of helping we're all kind of helping each other through the whole process so so that worked out
0: so i uh, you had been used to teaching online, so when we had to do this pivot, probably the hardest part was having to just Change so fast. I'm assuming.
1: <laughs> yes, because at the time, all of my classes were face to face. Okay. So switching my face to face classes to online, um, it did take a little bit of creativity and, and hard work, but it worked.
0: Yeah, and and I know that for a lot of us, one of the big deals there was making sure that we were there for our students and supporting our students through this kind of unexpected uh, wrinkle in their in their uh, that semester. Was there anything in particular that you kind of did to support the students that um, might be different than what you would normally do in an online class?
1: Um, Yeah, I think with that, uh, I offered regular like drop-in Zoom uh, office hours. I guess I would do that for a regular class anyway. But I think because it was so new at the time, I never offered Zoom office hours before. So that was something um, that I actually kept after the pandemic too, that giving that as an option for advising or for office hours, uh, dropping in um, virtually is an option for them now too. So I think that that was something um, that I got out of the pandemic.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that that was, that was something big that, that probably a lot of a lot of us took away is uh you know we don't have to be think about office hours as just kind of this yeah you have to come <laughs> into my mm-hmm. office at a particular time we can be a lot more flexible with it and yep. i think that is definitely beneficial beneficial for our students i and i'm on the main campus I, i'm assuming that with some of your students you probably have a lot of students who are are working and 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 that flexibility is probably even extra helpful there yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, a lot of students are taking care of families, they're working full time. they're balancing other classes and volunteer work. And so giving that extra flexibility uh, has been really key with staying connected with them.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, so i'm kind of I'm curious about uh, wh- when was it that you figured out I love teaching?
1: <laughs> I think the light bulb moment for me was actually in graduate school. Um, I'm a first-generation college student, and so, an IUN grad, uh, so Mm -hmm. when I went to graduate school, I really didn't know, (laughs) I didn't know what to do afterwards. Um, I wasn't sure, you know, like, throughout the first few years of my uh, graduate education, you know, I learned um, that I could do research, uh, kind of work for, like, an R1 research institution and do research primarily, Um, I could go work um, in industry, uh, but that didn't really just sit right with me. Um, The research is interesting, but I felt like I had, I guess, more to offer. And in my third year, we had to develop a lecture, a a class for um, my neuroplasticity class. And I got like super excited about it. I'm like, oh man, we could talk about some really cool things because yeah. I had chosen cortical plasticity. And I'm like, oh man, we could talk about like phantom limb syndrome and like recovery after stroke. And we could talk about synesthesia and like all of these like really cool things. And I got very excited about like finding interesting pictures and case studies to bring into the class. And I was like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> I'm really excited <laughs> about this and I'm having a, a lot of fun with this. Um, why don't I look into teaching? And so that was kind of my, my light bulb moment. And that's when I started mm. to try to get more teaching experience during grad school and afterwards, uh, and kind of set me on my course to here. So
0: how did that first lecture go?
1: Oh, I was so excited about it. It was really yeah. fun. Um, I mean, was,
0: that sounds like cool topics.
1: It was like, it was like the perfect thing to pick, I think, for that class. I don't know. And uh, I think, my because we had to teach it to our fellow students and so mm. I think that they they got a kick out of it too so so you,
0: you so this was part of a grad class where you kind of each took your own di- own topics and you taught exactly. the class we basically okay.
1: taught the class ourselves yes uh, okay. so we had a few weeks where we just learned some of the foundations of the coursework and then we kind of just all took a topic took a week and then went from there
0: mm-hmm. okay that 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 that's a uh, uh, good uh Teaching tool, right? I mean, to, to have students uh, actually teach a topic. And, and I really appreciated yeah. that,
1: too, because um, where I went to grad school, it we didn't have an undergraduate population. It was on a different mm. campus. Okay. And so the teaching experience opportunities were probably unlike a lot of different. Um, maybe many of our colleagues had uh, been required to teach as part of their graduate education, but I didn't really have those opportunities. So it was a, a really nice um feature of the course that I really appreciate, especially in hindsight, <laughs> that it yeah. got me onto the path where I where I
0: am now. I mean, so there's a lot of now, now that you're a faculty member, there's a lot of trust that goes into uh asking your students to actually get up and teach a, a, an important topic in a class, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 so you that faculty member um did obviously. D- trusted y'all as students, and do do you do you feel like you kind of carry that sort of um, that attitude forward towards your students now?
1: I think so. Um, I depending on the class, I try to give students the opportunity to really have agency in like not only kind of picking the direction of the class. I'll I'll have them kind of rank the topics um, that I have listed in order so we can. Make sure that we're covering their interests, Um, they can pick out their own um, research topics for uh, presentations, um, and really just letting them know that they're going to be the experts in this, Mm -hmm. and uh, allowing them to learn from each other because they're all bringing these like really cool experiences and knowledge to the table, and I learn a lot from them as well. And so I think having that trust and creating that trust in the classroom is really important uh, and just really enriching for everybody.
0: So basically at the beginning of the semester, you walk in there, you must have some sort of a rough syllabus with that just has topics on it. Is that how that how how you do that? Um
1: <laughs> I have like the first like few weeks planned out and then mm-hmm. um for a lot of my core content, I guess not so much my online classes, but definitely my face to face. I'll tell them, okay, here are the potential topics we can talk about, rank them in order of your interest, Mm -hmm. and then I have all of this, I uh, do a little bit of math and figure out how many students pick this as their number one topic and so forth, and that way we're covering the things that they want to talk about early, and then if we run out of time later, then it's, you know, we're not covering things that they, they were really looking forward to, so.
0: So do you find that challenging that 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 when you go into a class things might not be in the order that you might have put them in.
1: (laughs) That has definitely been, um, you know, being a little bit of uh, a person that likes a lot of control in the classroom I've had to let that go a little bit Uh, it's a good exercise for me. Um, But, you know, as long as we're covering kind of the core basics first, like the foundations of the nervous system or whatever, what have you methodology that kind of stuff has to come first because without that, they're not going to understand the rest of the content. Um, But once we hit like kind of the, um, the different I guess, different, more advanced chapters. As long as they have that foundational knowledge, it doesn't really matter what order it comes in. Mm, Uh, And we have it like after I survey them on the first or second day, I have the the schedule um, set it does, it does stress me out those first couple of days. (laughs) I want to know what, what order we're going to be teaching this in, but that's
0: probably exciting too, right? (laughs)
1: It's fun. And it does. It's interesting to see how those things uh, change over time. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, when I teach my drugs in the nervous system, you know, there's always certain topics that come first, but sometimes they flip-flop. So like opioids and depressants and um, cannabinoids, like those things tend to come first in the semester. Uh, but sometimes, uh, it's interesting to see when they change and like when the, what the trends are.
0: Yeah. I was kind of curious. So if, if you've got like all these topics you have to cover in your class, um, or that you want to, and, and students come up with these different orders, then you might've put them together. Did that in any way kind of, did it affect the way you make connections about the different kinds of areas?
1: Sometimes, yeah, because, you know, pretty much everything I teach, I have to tweak it, you know, pretty, pretty frequently with all of the new research that comes Mm. out. So, you know, presenting it in a different order definitely helps me like work those muscles and, um, you know, connecting it to the material we've already covered and then what's going to come later. And then that's always going to kind of change from semester to semester a little bit. So uh, it's it's, um, a nice mental exercise for me.
0: Yeah. Okay. That, I mean, that sounds pretty interesting. I, I, um, my training is as a, as a lawyer. And, uh, when I, I do a lot of, uh, appellate argument or Mm -hmm. I used to do a lot of appellate argument, and basically, after you get one line of your argument out of your mouth, the judges are already interrupting you and asking you questions. So you're 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 going to th- something that would have been way at the end of your argument if you went in the order you planned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always found that you know you had to be prepared to like make different kinds of connections and s- different kinds of segues and transitions, and um, you have to be really agile in the in the in the way you think. And it sounds like. Um, you're kind of doing that with your with your class, where you have to have this agility uh, built built into your, Well, you have to have the agility personally. Yes,
1: yeah, it's. I, I feel like making me <laughs> made me a little sharper, helping my memory a little bit better. Uh, so I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, so, what, what what's like a favorite uh, a favorite assignment you you a give your students
1: assignment. Oh goodness. Um let's see. So it really depends on the class. Uh mm-hmm. I really like uh, when I teach statistics. Uh I find like layperson articles of research. So like a summary of a research article that has recently come out and I give them to the students because I tell them like, you may not, you know, run another statistical test after you leave this classroom, but Uh. you might read something on the internet, maybe once or twice, right? Like you're, you're going to read stuff on the internet. So you're going to need to know how to evaluate this. And they have to pick out the statistical concepts or the, uh, the research design concepts and, uh, interpret that and um, they get I I have them read the article beforehand, and then when we get into class they they break out into small groups and pick out the concepts because sometimes it's not said like oh they calculated a mean or uh, maybe they use this test based on the number of groups that they had, and then we recap it as a class. And so each group has to tell me like one interesting thing that they talked about or mm. one relevant thing. And they, at the beginning of the semester, they're very hesitant. They're not very sure about how, like what I'm looking for. But by the end of the semester, it's really fun to see them basically ripping these articles to shreds. They're like, <laughs> oh, they said <laughs> this, but fun. you know, the design, like it doesn't fit or they overinterpreted it or they forgot this. And it's just really... Um, <laughs> uh it's it's really fun for me for them to be able to do that uh and then sometimes after the fact the students will send me articles they're like hey i found this mm. article that you would really like or that would be really good for that activity so that's um that's fun for me to do and i think yeah. it's really useful for them too to be able to really critically think about what they read um and uh, be able to um, I guess debunk sometimes if they see things on social media and um, share that information with their friends and their family. So I think it's a useful exercise beyond the classroom.
0: I mean, I think that that you're absolutely right. I, I we do, I do something kind of similar in, in my business communication class because we we uh, use data to make recommendations a lot of times in, in case, kind of a case studies. Um, but boy, our, you know. aren't aren't the words people use to write about statistics so loaded it's just unbelievable
1: (laughs) (laughs) and I start off with like really bad articles at first and then I try to make them a little bit uh I guess more uh more neutral as we go on. So it makes it a little bit harder for them to pick out the concepts. Mm, Like, it's very obvious, like when something is poorly written or poorly represented, uh, and they can kind of pick it out. But they do get better with this as the semester goes on. But
0: they don't even realize it's obvious until you do it the first time, right? Uh,
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, they kind of take it at face value. And I'm like, well, you know, when did they conduct this study? Oh, well, they, you know, this is an article written about a paper that was published in like 1954 or something. And I'm like mm-hmm. okay, well, you know, what kind of uh, subjects were they probably using at that time, and you know, that kind of um, getting a little bit deeper into the uh, the research design and the interpretation is is really fun.
0: Yeah, I so I noticed on your on your uh, lab website, which I looked at a little bit at a time, that you've. Got uh, the word undergrad researcher on there, and you've got mm-hmm. undergrad researchers. So, um, do, do you use undergrad research a lot uh, in, in your career, or is it is it like something you do in your classes, or is it something that's uh, kind of uh, added on?
1: Yes. So students can um, do work in my laboratory uh, as part of a class. I teach a research lab capstone. Um, that's an option for psych and neuroscience students on our campus. But mm-hmm. I also um, I recently developed a first year internship program. Um, I take on students uh, through independent study or other grant funded opportunities on our campus. And um, yes, I absolutely, we we don't have graduate students in our department uh, and on our campus. So all of my research is done by undergrads or uh, undergraduate mentored research experiences. Uh, I think it's, really fun. Um, I know that when I was an undergrad, my research experiences have stayed with me. It really kind of my research experiences in undergrad are what drove me to apply to graduate school in the first place.
0: Oh, okay. And
1: uh, so being able to provide that for students, again, even if they don't go on to graduate school or professional school, I think it's something uh, cool that they can participate in. Um, I've had students publish research with me. Uh, and it's some of my um and some of these projects were student um driven uh one of my favorite projects that we did in one of my lab classes was I was gonna um, ask
0: you if you had a favorite one
1: <laughs> I, do, I mean they're all my favorite, but this okay, is okay of that course students, of course they are students are drawn to is when we um study the effects of different energy drink components mm. on on anxiety behavior uh and that was something that students were like, "Hey, can we study energy drinks? I'm like, absolutely we can do that and uh, so it was uh and that we ended up publishing that too, so it's cool for them to that see cool. it through the whole process. And um, and w- you know, once we get that data, it's really exciting to say, like, look, nobody in the world knows this right now. Like, we are the only ones that know this. Yeah, this is a discovery cool. that you came up with that that we we found together. And so that's uh, really really a cool process, and I never get tired of it.
0: <laughs> well, so now I have to know. Mm -hmm. Tell me about energy drinks and anxiety. I'm I'm going to guess that they contribute to it. Yes.
1: Yes. And so, um, you know, when we were doing some of the foundational legwork for this, uh, we found that one of the components of many energy drinks called taurine is Mm -hmm. an amino acid that is thought to have anti-anxiety properties. Um, But then when you mix that in with other components like caffeine, which uh induces anxiety we were wondering if those two we focus on those two components specifically uh does the taurine in the energy drink cancel out the caffeine and it didn't and we found that it didn't so okay. um you know that was uh i don't know how many of them drink energy drinks after the fact, yeah, but right, they probably right. still do but uh, it was it was still fun to to look at this
0: well, that that's a good tidbit for I I learned something new today. I love that. <laughs> Thank <Yes>. you. <laughs> and you did that with undergrad, undergrad researchers, which is which is very cool. I know your campus at IU Northwest, there's a and it's probably true of a, a lot of our campuses. But but I know that, that, yeah. that you have a um, undergrad research like symposium or something like that. Um, did your students present at that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so every year we have the College of Arts and Sciences Research Conference in the spring. So they presented uh, our work um, from that class at that conference. They also presented it at the Chicago Society for Neuroscience meeting, since we're right outside Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they also presented that one, uh, that project at the IU Undergraduate Research Conference. I think no, that wow. year, it might have been in Indy, in uh, IUPY. So uh, that was uh, the students that were part of that project, they were... Uh, They were really excited about this and presented it long after the course was over. I think that was a fall class and they presented it twice in the spring and then once the next fall. Wow, that really speaks to
0: a lot of enthusiasm. Oh, they uh, were. And I'm like, this
1: is not, you know, this is just, you know, if you want to do it for your experience, for your resume. Um, So they they were very gung-ho about it. So that was a good group, good project all around. So they're very invested in it.
0: I mean, there's a lot of kind of secondary skill building with that too. It sounds like the the, the collaboration and just presenting and being able to build out um, good visuals for for presentations i mean um do do you how how do you kind of prepare that prepare your students for those kinds of things?
1: So when I teach the lab class, um, I build it in where they have to do an oral presentation. Um, Just to me, they don't have to give it to the class, where they have to concisely summarize the project that we did. Uh, And then we kind of scaffold from there if they do want to um, present at a conference, we work together to put, usually it's in a poster format, mm-hmm. um, put the poster together and then they practice it. I have them kind of, cause usually more than one student, it's usually like a small group or a pair that like to present together. Yeah. And then I'll scaffold it and have them practice with each other. They have to practice before me. And then we just kind of go through that. Um, and then the more they do it, the more comfortable they get with it. Yeah. Uh, On the day of the conference, I leave them alone. I'm like, I know when I'm hanging around, they get really nervous. So I'm like, you know, I'm just going to leave you to everyone. I'm here if you want me. But usually they they said, no, we can do this as long as you're not here. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll go look at other stuff at the time uh, and then just direct people to my students' posters. Do you
0: think that's because I get perfectionistic?
1: Uh, I I think they're worried about making a mistake in front of me, but I'm like, I'm really, uh, because I always tell them like, you're the, you're the experts on this again, telling them that they're the experts, like only you're going to know this and I'm going to know this. Uh, You know, obviously other researchers might have something like tangentially related Mm -hmm. that they'll ask you about, but um, I think they're less (laughs) concerned about making mistakes in front of other people, I guess. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not judging you like
0: it's right, fine. right. You know, making yeah. mistakes
1: is part of the process. It's
0: fine. They don't want to embarrass you. I I'm guess. Sure. It's I mean, probably, probably. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> that 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 could, that could be some
1: yeah
0: something to do with it for sure. So, um, I, kind of switching gear, gears gears yeah. on this, I, I'm kind of curious in your in your teaching career, have you had a semester where you felt really pushed out of your comfort zone? Um, let's
1: see. I want. I would say probably earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, earlier on um, I'm actually really introverted and so um, some of my earliest semesters I was given some of the larger intro sections and at the time we had like I don't know 115 95 like very larger that's that's a lot of people in the room (laughs) (laughs) Um, and just uh, and because I was kind of fresh out of grad school not super confident um and not really knowing what my style was at first i feel like that was um that was kind of pushing pushing the zones for me pushing my boundaries of of comfort uh but as i've done it i've gotten definitely more comfortable and more confident and i've learned what works and doesn't work um especially with classroom management and that kind of thing uh so i would say Recently, probably not so much. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Um. Other than trying to handle everything, I think I um, the way that uh, when I was introduced to teaching, I started as an adjunct, uh, and then I was a lecturer for a year, and then I was on the tenure track. So I was able to kind of develop those skills slowly, uh, mm. versus sometimes when people are coming right out of grad school into a tenure track position that you're expected to do all of the things at the same time. And so I was able to kind of get a handle on my teaching and get introduced to service early before mm. I started the research. And so that's interesting. It. It's interesting. it was I'm, I'm really grateful for it. Um, it wasn't exactly the trajectory I had planned out, but it honestly worked really well in my favor. And yeah. Um, uh I, being able to kind of build those skills uh, a little bit more slowly over time has i think helped me a lot and mm-hmm. helped me to handle um, all of the different things that academia
0: throws my way which of course is an endless supply of new thing, <laughs> right yes um, every time
1: i'm like okay i totally got it this semester and then by the end of the semester i'm like i didn't i didn't totally get it but i'm i'm <laughs> hanging on so it's okay
0: that's, that's, that's an interesting, uh, interesting story. There's how, so how, about when, you know, year wise of teaching, do you think you were like, okay, I, I, I can, ha- I know I'm going to get pushed out of my comfort zone on a day-to-day basis in some way or another, but I can handle it. I can pivot. I feel confident. How, how long do you think it took you?
1: Um, I was an adjunct for, I think four years. And then I okay. think when I uh, was asked to do a visiting lecturer for a year uh i think that that's really when i started to feel okay i think i got this i think <laughs> so it did take me a little bit of time but mm-hmm. at that point i had already had a couple courses under my belt i had taught both in person and online uh and then kind of taking on um the teaching and the uh, a little bit a little bit more of the service responsibilities advising that kind of thing yeah. is really when i felt like i got into my groove was okay um you know, working part-time was great, but like, I, I really feel a lot more confident and uh, like into my groove when I'm doing it full-time.
0: Yeah. So. Did you, was there somebody, so you were, you at IU Northwest that whole time?
1: I was. Yep.
0: Okay. And was there, was there anybody there who was um, kind of a mentor for you who, who, who really helped you make that transition from adjunct to, to full-time faculty?
1: Absolutely. Uh, So Dr. Marion Fisher was our longtime chair uh, when I started, and um, she was really a a wonderful source of support for me. um, Very, And she was really the one that recruited me as an adjunct to begin with, uh, Mm -hmm. and just really listened to me and gave me good advice and also kind of let me (laughs) do my own thing when, um, when needed. So uh, she was, she just uh, recently retired a couple years ago. And okay. so I've missed her a lot. <laughs> She's always yeah. uh, been very, uh, very supportive, um, especially being a new mom and an academic uh, was was a, a little challenging, but also um, I, I felt like I could handle it because of the advice that she gave and the, just the support um, with trying to handle all of the things.
0: Was there anything, that, anything in particular that uh, advice-wise or any, any type of support that, was, that just stands um, out as, boy, I, I hope everyone gets this?
1: Yes, yes. And so, like I said, um, as a new mom, uh, I, I had given birth, of, when I was an adjunct, um, and then when I had applied for the tenure track position and and gotten the tenure track, I actually had my second child the first year I was on the tenure track. So mm-hmm. obviously really, really stressful times. Yeah, yeah. Let's low um, stress.
0: That that's nothing. <laughs> yes.
1: And so her just encouraging me, she's like, if you uh, you know, you need to take some time, you need to, to bring baby in, like whatever you need, like that's uh, you know, what you would need to be successful. Never felt made me feel guilty about mm-hmm. um you know, not being able to handle everything at the same time and just kind of giving me more structure for that, um, uh, helping me be really protective with my time uh, and also encouraging me. I know there was like an event on campus that I was like, well, I I would like to go to this, but I have the baby with me right now. I don't have childcare right now. She's like, just bring her I was like, what? (laughs) Just bring her. I was like, oh, I can do that. She's like, yeah, absolutely. And so Mm. I missed out on, or I would have missed out on this uh, kind of professional networking opportunity had I not brought my child. And so she just really uh, wanted to help me normalize that and normalize kind of this balance that a lot of new parents face. And um, I, I really don't think I would have been asked. Six, not, that I, not that I'm not that i going to say that I'm super successful or anything, but I would not have been able to manage everything. I'll
0: say it. I'll say it.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. I looked <laughs> at
0: your CV. You're, you're doing
1: awesome. <laughs> um, I think I would not have been able to do that without her just being kind of an unwavering source of support and just like just mm-hmm. listening and, and providing the things that I needed to be successful.
0: Now nah, she sounds, she sounds like a wonderful um, support. <laughs>
1: yes. We were person. all very sad in the yeah. department when she retired, but mm-hmm. you know, she, I'm like, go enjoy retirement.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. So is there any advice you would give um, a new faculty member so that they can be successful and just so that they <laughs> can feel confident that their students are, are doing the best that they can do?
1: Yes, I, I have a few things where number one, being um, being confident about this, like, you know more than you think you do. I think that was one thing that I had to tell myself that when I'm at the front of the classroom, like students are here to learn from me and I'm here to learn from them. And so, um, you know, you're providing a, a resource to your students. And so, you know, more than you think you do. Um, another thing I wish I would have done early was take notes for myself. So, mm. you know, I would teach a class and then it would be maybe a year later, I would teach it again. And um, there were like either mistakes that I made or things that I wanted to do better. And I forgot about it by the time that yeah, I right. teach it. <laughs> So now I keep like a, a running like word document that like okay That's next time advice. I teach this class like this is what I need to do like fix this rubric or you know include this first or you know just keeping a running tally for yourself when you go to teach a class the next time because you will forget by the time that time rolls around like I I wish I would have done that earlier I didn't That's a out. good
0: good method you know just be methodical and and that way you can document that you did it too <laughs>
1: Exactly. Right. Um, being yeah. able to kind of keep track of like, what are the interventions that you're doing or what are the changes that you're making to see that impact on your students? Um, and then just asking questions when you don't know, finding the people that um, that are helpful for you, finding those mentors, uh, being able to help uh, encourage your growth. I think that all of those those things are really helpful or would, would have been helpful for me to know. I think I, I figured those out along the way, but I think knowing on day one would have been helpful for me.
0: Yeah. And I mean, basically where we started, you describing how you do this with your syllabus, this rank ordering, you have to be confident that you know, your discipline to do something like that. Um, so that, that's great advice. Kind of brought us full circle, full <laughs> circle, really. Um, Maureen, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, again, Transformative Teaching and uh, at IU Podcast. And um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>